American Forces Radio Network presents The Leadership List. Welcome to The Leadership List, a production of the American Forces Radio Network, because great leaders never stop learning. In this edition, John Eads, author of Building the Best, Eight Proven Ways to Elevate Others to Success. Welcome, John. I'm excited to be here, George. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm your host, George Maurer. John is the CEO of Learn Loft, a leadership development company, host of a podcast titled Follow My Lead. His ideas and principles have reached 7 million people through various mediums such as Forbes, LinkedIn, elearningindustry.com and CNBC. And you were kind enough to sign the copy of the book that you sent me so that I could prepare for this interview. And the message reads, quote, thanks for having me on the show. Your leadership is needed more than ever, unquote. Now, your handwriting is strikingly similar to mine. (laughs) And just for a moment, when I first opened the book, I said to myself, when did I write a note in this thing to to me? But obviously it wasn't. Now, before we get started on the eight ways to elevate others, John, in the introduction and on the sleeve of the cover, you talk about the moment you realized you are not a good leader. And I've had to swallow that pill before myself. It's pretty bitter. But uh, it's a moment that led you to where you are today. Tell me that story. Of course. Anytime you – I thought I was kind of born with some natural leadership DNA, if you will. was a captain of this team and a president of this and that. And so I had this idea that I was a really effective leader. And when I first got the opportunity to lead a team uh, professionally – we were about a year into building that business and we were really struggling. And like most young leaders, couldn't be my fault. It had to be somebody else's. So I asked one of my team members to in, into my office at the end of one day. I decided to let her go. And she looked at me at the end of that meeting and she said, John, I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know what we were doing. And I didn't know how I was helping us get there. And if if you've ever sat in that chair where you realize that the problem is not your team, the problem is you from a leadership perspective, uh, it's tough to hear. There's a yeah. guy named Jocko Willink. He says, there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. And the sad part, George, is I was living proof of those words. I kid you not, I put my head in my hands and I cried like a baby after she left my office. But my purpose, my mission, I knew something was born out of that moment. And uh, I'm a faith-based guy, guy, and I said, God, I don't know why that just happened, but I'm going to do everything in my power to not let that moment happen to other people. And uh, and that's what that's what started us on our journey to to help other people become the leader they were meant to be. Leadership tip from building the best: serve their hearts, not their talents. Let's talk about your first principle which is use high levels of love and discipline to elevate others. You use the Clemson football team as your example. <laughs> they, they won a national championship and a good choice, by the way. They won a national championship in 1981 and then went through a prolonged dry spell. 
Today, they have perhaps the finest program in the country, national championships in 2016 and 18, as well as an appearance in the 2019 championship game, nine consecutive years of at least 10 wins per season. And in your book, you say head coach Dabo Sweeney uses love and discipline to get the most from his players. And you give a couple of examples of Sweeney's leadership, but the one I find the most interesting is the 2015 season, Hmm. the team's first playoff appearance in almost 30 years. And then Sweeney suspended five of his players, including a standout wide receiver. Why did he do that? Well, like most things, when you're out to uncover what the best leaders do, you look for the things that they do differently than everybody else. And so as we started studying leadership, um, Dabo just rose to the top of the list because he had taken this average football program and has since turned them in, as you mentioned, to one of the great football programs of all time, certainly of today. And you just got to think about this fan base. It, fan is short for fanatic. And these Clemson sure. fans are passionate about this team. So to be back in a national championship game after 30 years or more, it was a big, big deal. And Dabo knew how big of a deal it was, but these five players and specifically Deion Kane had chosen not to meet the standard set out by his team and his program. And he knew that he was there to serve his players' hearts and not their talents. So if he let them play in that big game that meant so much to Clemson, and I'm sure to them, he would be serving their talents. So he uses a high level of love and discipline in the way that he leads. And and the only way he can do that is if he loves his players, which means to contribute to someone's long-term success and well-being, and discipline to promote standards in order for an individual to choose to be at their best. And he uses them both at really high levels. And the best part of the story is even though Clemson went on to lose that game in 2015, Deion Kane the receiver that he suspended, chose to meet the standards, come back the next year, and he played an instrumental role in them winning the 2016 title game. So it it just goes to show you that in that moment, he could have just let Dion and the other players play, but he knew it wasn't the right thing for them long-term, and he didn't matter what it cost. And that's the beautiful part about leadership. And you have to wonder, would they would have even won the 16 championship without that move in 15. It's mm, a great I mean, question. The po- possibilities are endless, of course, and we'll never get a straight answer. But <laughs> now in your book, you say there are five clear leadership styles. Among those styles, you found one clear winner as far as elevating others. And there's 16 different core competencies, and we can't go into all of them, of course, but they can all be learned. And you call the most important factor having a growth mindset. Define a growth mindset and what makes it so valuable for leaders. Absolutely. There was some fantastic research done by Carol Dweck and her team about the growth mindset. And uh, it's really a phenomenal life lesson for that matter. And the whole idea is that, you know, do you believe you can grow and get better? Do you think this, these six inches between your ears, can develop or do you think you're just the way you are from birth? You know, I'm I'm a finished product because of my genes or because of my genetics. 
And too often, people just assume because I'm born this way or I look like this or my mom and dad are like this, I'm just destined to be this. When in fact- so sad. That is such a sad way to look at life. Please continue. It is sad, but you got to understand everybody comes from a different place with different experiences and different leadership in their own life, the way they've been led. And so while it's sad, I don't judge it. Because everybody comes from a different place. What's sure. important is what you're going to do moving forward. There's an, there's an old Latin saying called nunc cepi. And what nunc cepi means is now I begin. Now I begin. And it's such a powerful lesson for us, George, because if you've been you've been stuck in a fixed mindset or believing that you have limited, your brain is limited, instead, I can choose to do different tomorrow. I can choose to say, I'm going to just look to get a little bit better tomorrow in some area that I didn't think I was possible to get better in. I'm going to use the analogy of um, reading. You know, you're not you're not born to know how to read. It's something that you learn and develop and you you learn how to do it rather quickly when you're six, seven, eight years old, whenever you learn how to read. And so it's the same kind of mentality in life is that if I'm not leading exceptionally well right now, guess what? I can get better at it. Because leadership is a journey and not a destination. And, and that's the way I want people to look at life is that um, we can grow and we can get better. But it also means that we can get worse. So it, it's thinking of your mind as this expanding muscle that it's never a finished product. Leadership tip from building the best. You are responsible for building trust. Principle number two, without strong relationships, you can't lead. And you outlined something called the trust compound theory, where you say trust is built by three things, competence, care, and character. Now, let's say I'm a leader and I want to build trust in my organization, on my team, using the trust compound theory. And I come to you for advice. Where would we begin? The reason why the principle exists in the first place is because leadership is a one-on-one game. I mean, you might lead an entire team or a, a group of people, but at the end of the day, you're going to lead each person individually. And that means the relationship between you and another person has to be strong. Hmm. Everything is built on the foundation of relationships when it comes to leadership. Because when the relationships are good, George, then you can challenge somebody. You can you can push them to go further than they think they're capable of doing themselves. You can you can do a better job of coaching and developing them because when when the relationship is there and they know you care about them as a person, it's endless what you can do together from a leadership perspective. And so that's why the the principle exists and specifically around trust and the and the trust compound theory. All trust is, is consistency plus time. And so as a leader, if you're going to go, you're responsible for building the trust with your people and developing this relationship with them. So how well you share your competence, um, whether you, whether you know your space, you know, the environment, you know, that you put in the work, you have wisdom about what it is that you do um, and how willing you are to share that with your team is very important. No one is going to follow an incompetent leader. <laughs> I mean, sure. 
You, you have to know, and you can build trust with your team based on your competence in your space. The second part is care. Do your people know you care about them? That's that L-O-V-E. Love is spelled T-I-M-E, right? And so right. <laughs> can you, can you, can you give your people your time to show them that you care? Can you be really present in the time that you give them? And then lastly, and maybe most importantly of all is character. You know, the, the mental and moral qualities distinctive to you as an individual. Um, one of maybe my favorite leaders of all time, General Robert Caslin, he says, if you fail at character, you fail at leadership. And, uh, and your people are going to trust you whether they know if you're going to do right from wrong. Principle number three, as a leader, culture starts with you, but your people prove it. I think most of us have worked in places with negative cultures and it could be pretty much a, a soul sucking experience. It can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Now in your book, you define four elements that make up an organization's culture, their safety, unity, positivity, and energy. And of course, an elite team culture scores highly in each of these areas. How does one go about building a positive culture within an organization? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it starts with understanding what culture really is, because it's one of those words that have been hijacked by the media and by other people's stories. Sure. Um, culture is simply the shared values and beliefs that guide thinking and behavior. And I and I and positivity is so important because when you look at the importance of certain skills, positivity is at the very highest part of the list in the top three. And the reason why is simple. We are wired to be drawn towards positive things. You you can think of the there's a there's a, a theory called the heliotropic effect. And what that basically says is if a if a flower or a plant is sitting on a window sill, it will naturally start to be drawn towards the light or towards the sun. You put that same flower or plant in a closet, what's gonna happen to it, George? It's going to die. It's going to die. And, and, and we, people are like that too. We're drawn towards things that give us hope and energy and excitement and look for the good in things. And, and if, if negativity will absolutely crush a team's culture, one yeah, person no can do it. Um, yeah. One person can do it. My, my friend, John Gordon, author, he, he, been great. He says th- he calls them energy vampires, <laughs> and I and yeah. I like that that analogy because if what what you tolerate, you encourage from a leadership perspective. So if you're going to tolerate a negative person or negative energy on your team, then guess what? That's your fault. It's not somebody else's. An energy vampire. I'm going to have to use that sometime. I'm going <laughs> to. It's pretty I, good. I, it's pretty I'm going to put in my in my little Rolodex here. <laughs> My mental Rolodex. People don't have Rolodexes anymore, do they? I'm showing my age a little bit there. No, I like it. I like it. (laughs) Leadership tip from building the best. With a purpose, people will persevere. Principle number four. People persevere because of purpose, not pay. 
people find satisfaction by believing they're part of something bigger than themselves. And this is this is a big one that I believe in as well. You use the example of Chick-fil-A restaurants. I love their sandwiches, by the way. Outstanding. Mm-hmm. And Chick-fil-A has a purpose statement and everything they do falls under the umbrella of that statement. How does one create an effective purpose in an organization? This probably maybe the one where leaders miss the most because they assume that because their organization might have a bigger purpose that their people automatically know it. And I, I know everyone listening to this might not be the CEO of a company or have the ability to, to have a really great purpose statement for their organization. And I respect that. But if you lead anybody, you are the connector of cause. And, and that cause, that deeper purpose, um, that, that mission to exist is essential. And don't tell me it doesn't matter. I mean, you talked about Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A does $4.4 million in revenue a store. The closest competitor in the same space is KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And they do about $1.1 million per store in revenue. Wow. Wow. Chick-fil-A is open six days a week. KFC right. is open seven. Okay. Right. So They're close don't on tell me. Yeah, that's right. Don't tell me that per- being a purpose-driven leader does not add up. It, there's nothing soft about it. And you want to know in the current environment when things are really challenging like they are right now because of the coronavirus, well, people persevere because of they're going to persevere because purpose, not just because of the paycheck, because they believe that they're doing something greater than they can do by themselves. And, and, and you as a leader are the connector of cause. And I love this story of Movement Mortgage. This will help it come to life. Um, or, Movement Mortgage is a really big mortgage company. They're very purpose-driven. But one particular manager was, was leading in a, a division where they create closing documents for closing. So they, they import data from financial documents, put them in their closing documents, and then they send them to the to the loan officer to get executed at closing. If you've ever bought a house, you know how many document, how big that stack of documents is yeah, to sign. It's a big it's one. Not, it's not exactly sexy work. Okay. Yeah. It can it can start to feel a little bit like Groundhog Day. And this particular manager, even though the company was very purpose driven, she had a tough time connecting it her team to it. And so what she decided to do was she decided to have each loan officer take a picture of the people that were signing the documents that her team created. And one day they got a picture back, not for marketing, just for her team. And one day they got a a picture back and it was a single mother and her daughter buying their first house and they were smiling from ear to ear. And she said, immediately my team knew why they were creating those closing documents. And she said, every day we have a poster up that we make dreams become a reality for movement clients. Now, who would you want to go to work for? Would you want to just go create closing documents or would you want to go make dreams become a reality? Sure. Sell the dream. Same, not the- It's same work, George. Same yeah. work. But yep. instead, I'm making dreams become a reality. And this is where I give this leader an enormous amount of credit because she connected her team to a deeper cause, even in a purpose-driven organization. And that's what I would – if you're leading a team and you're listening to this – don't gloss over this one because people want to be a part of something that's doing something good 
and doing something worthwhile. And that's part of your job as a leader is to connect your people to a cause. Leadership tip from building the best. There's no timetable for success. Looking at things from a different perspective here, the Penn State football program, Mm. another topic you cover in your book. In 2014, they were still feeling the effects of the Jerry Sandusky pedophile case. Mm -hmm. And even worse, their larger-than-life coach, Joe Paterno, Joe Pa, 409 victories. Paterno knew about the abuse and did nothing for many years. The New York Times reported Paterno may have known as far back as 1976. That's about 35 years of looking the other way. Then they hire a man named James Franklin from Vanderbilt, not exactly a football powerhouse, Mm -hmm. and it was his job to write that ship. Where in the world would one begin in that situation to make things right? Well, I'll tell you where he began. He began to look at the values of their organization, the fundamental beliefs that they believe to be true. And uh, and and I just love this example because here comes this leader. There was there was one coach in between who's now the coach at uh, the Houston Texans, but only for a year or two. So he had a little bit of a Band-Aid or a little bit of a bridge, uh, but he started with values. And what he did that was so fantastic is he defined these four core values for his team. And instead of just putting them on a wall and hoping they stuck, what he did was he created an award based for the player or the coach that best lived out these four core values every single day. And what he did was he would give out this award in front of the entire team, not just based on the MVP of the game, but the person that lived out this award. And what do you think that did for the team, George, for the players in it? Well, I would imagine it inspired them to do those very same things they saw others were doing. Exactly right. They're like, I, I want to be the guy getting that award. How, how can I go serve in my community better? How you know All the things, how can I do the uh, more work than the common man. I think that's one of the values. So it's like what he what he did was that he 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 inspired other people's actions through the defining of core values and rewarding those that were living it out better than everybody else. And he he just inspired other people to follow. And and that's that's what great leaders do. They inspire, they empower and they serve in order to elevate others. And so there's just a great example of a leader that took a really difficult situation and he's turned it around. Here's the important factor, though. It didn't happen overnight. Right. It, it, it takes time for these values to, to take hold. And that means you have to keep them going even when the winning might not be there. I mean, it wasn't roses in the first season. So he had to maintain, he knew those were fundamental beliefs that he held to be true. And he knew they were going to end up end up helping them be successful, but there's no timetable on success. It's doing the right thing every single day over and over again, and it adds up to something greater. It increases your odds to be successful. And I love that about James Franklin. There's no timetable for success. That's that, I've never heard that before. That's actually, that's really fantastic because so many of us are like, well, you know, I'm 30 years old. I really should be at point 
B or C by now. Mm. But that's not really the way life works. When your time is right, you will achieve what you are supposed to achieve. I agree with you um, to a point. I mean, um, the outcome is never guaranteed. And so, you know, what the only thing that's guaranteed is do you do the right things every single day? Do you, you know, do you find joy in the journey? Do you, do you put in as much effort as you can? And, and then, you know, I, and then you, you just have to hope that the outcome is what you want it to be, but very rarely is the outcome going to be exactly what you want it to be anyways. And so, (laughs) so I, I, um, I think, and I think success is so it, it's great in many ways, and it also at the same times we we chase it and we chase it and we chase it. Um, now I'll tell a personal story only because I think it's pertinent here. I mean, by all measures, my father achieved tons of success in life. I mean, financial success, selling a company, doing some fantastic stuff, and at sixty five years old, he you know, it goes through a divorce after 41 years of marriage and has very little relationship with his, with his three sons. So again, I only share that story. Not, I mean, I love my dad and all that good stuff, but so often we, we start chasing this idea of success so hard. And then once we get it, all the things that really matter fall apart. And so I, I would just, I would just, like to encourage anyone listening that says there's nothing wrong with you desiring to be successful in whatever success means to you, but it it can't come at the expense of the things that really matter in life. Principle number five, goals aren't achieved without priorities put into action. The book discusses the GPI system. GPI meaning goals, priorities, initiatives, something which we just touched upon. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you say is a person with a million good ideas will almost always lose to the guy with one good idea who knows how to execute well. Please explain. Well, this is where in the book or in leadership, we start to turn from like the foundations of to build the foundation to build a good house on. And this is where we start actually building now. This is where execution comes to life. Um, the day-to-day um, executing at a really high level. Um, it's like the, the, the game lights come on, if you will. Um, and so that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about here is that um, at the end of the day, it's how well can you and your team execute on a day-in and day-out basis? Because that's what's going to, that's what, you know, the, just having the idea to do something doesn't actually get anything achieved. So can you get a team of people on the same boat, rowing in the same direction, executing at the highest level every single day? And those are the, the teams that win M- from a military perspective, to from a sports perspective, from a business perspective. So this is where, you know, ensuring that your team has a clear goal for what we're trying to achieve we have the priorities in alignment with that goal, the things that are more important than another, and then making sure everybody's to-do list or daily initiatives or what we call what moves the needle is in alignment with those priorities. So you don't have people working on things that, that don't matter or don't get you closer to your goal. And so that's that's the whole idea of the GPI system is you as the leader are, are, are there to help define the goal and the priorities, and then you empower your people from a day-to-day basis to execute at the highest level. 
Principle number six. The instant you lower your standards is the instant performance erodes. Pat Summit, University of Tennessee women's basketball coach, Hall of Fame career, more than 1,000 wins, eight national championships, 25 highly successful coaches and former players in her coaching and management tree. And according to your book, she communicated 12 standards constantly to her players, things like respect yourself and others, develop and demonstrate loyalty, make hard work your passion. And we've already kind of touched upon a lot of those things uh, already in our conversation. But how did passing along these values help her keep her standards so high? And how, how did it help them become better basketball players? Hmm. Well, Pat is a great example of, of someone that just uh, was the chief repetition officer. I mean, she's, she's since passed, but she's, she just, she knew that she had to repeat those standards all the time because we have a lot going on a lot. We need to be reminded. One of my favorite mentors says, John, people need to be reminded more than they need to be taught. And I, and I think great leaders know that they know part of their responsibility is just to keep repeating the same things over and over and over again, because they're sure. right. Right. Um, a standard, a standard is defined in the dictionary as what good looks like. What we found in great leaders, they don't, don't define what good looks like. They define what great looks like. And I use the analogy a lot of um, if, if you were renting a car, um, when you return that car, what is the standard for when you return the car from a gas perspective? The tank should be as full as it was when you picked it up. At right. least. That's the standard. That's it. That's exactly right. And why does that, that standard exist? Because you have people from all different walks of life renting all different kinds of car. And it's meant to align the behaviors of everyone who rents cars from Hertz or from wherever else. Now, if they decided tomorrow that the standard was that you could return the car with a half a tank of gas, how would most cars get returned? Empty <laughs> <laughs> with a half a tank of gas, right? I mean, they. Ideally, my point yes. is, yeah, that the people would start to align to the new standard just being lower. And yeah. Pat knew that. She yeah. knew that if if she's going to hold her team to a really high standard, that's what her team is going to meet. If she lowers the standard, her team's going to meet that standard. And so that's why standards are so critical in leadership, defining what great looks like. And I think everybody listening can relate to trying to meet and exceed a high standard because it stresses you and it challenges you. And that's what great leaders do. Principle number seven, accountability is an advantage. Make it your obligation. And this has to be one of the single most difficult things any leader has to do, but it has to be done communicating with someone when standards have not been met mm -hmm. or when there's a great deal of room for improvement. It's tough duty. You use the term direct dialogue as the best way to handle this. What is direct dialogue and how does one use it? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think anybody can relate to not wanting to have the difficult conversations. And um, through our research, it's very clear that the best leaders not only um, don't shy away from the difficult conversations, they actually excel in them. They kind of thrive in them. They, 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 
they have them at really exceptional levels where both parties feel like that was ended up being a good thing. And so all a direct dialogue, it's made up of three key parts. It's made up of standards, which we just talked about. We've got to have the standard defined, Mm -hmm. um, which is essential. I mean, because if, if, if we're going to go hold someone accountable and the standards not set, it's not fair to them. Imagine you being, you driving down the road, George, and you got pulled over, but there was no speed limit sign anywhere on the road. How would you feel? Right. A little perturbed. (laughs) <laughs> a little. Yeah. You would fight that thing in court till tomorrow. Oh, definitely. And definitely. So, so that's where from an accountability perspective, it becomes so essential that you have really clear standards set. Once you have the standard set, that's when we need evidence. Do, do we have proof? Do we have facts that the standard is met or not met? Because what people want facts and not feelings because feelings are easy to argue with. Um, I forget who said it, uh, but he said, facts are stubborn things. <laughs> and I love that. Because yeah. if, if you're going to go have a direct dialogue, we need standards, we need evidence or facts. And then most importantly, we need courage. Being scared and deciding to do it anyways. Um, and it, it can't be overlooked because not everybody wakes up saying, I need to go have that tough conversation with a teammate or my wife or my kids or whatever. They They don't wake up looking for that or, or seeking it. But when they, these conversations must happen because if you're, again, if you're out to love and hold your people um, accountable, then these are the conversations that are going to help them improve. If you don't have the dialogue, you're only hurting them. So often we think we don't want to have the conversation because we might hurt them or we might hurt our feelings or it's going to make us uncomfortable. But, but think of the alternative, George. Right. If we don't have it, we're going to continue getting the same exact behavior. Leadership tip from building the best. Developing others is your most important job. Last but certainly not least, principle number eight. Coaching unlocks potential and elevates performance. We get back to the message that you took the time to write to me in front of your book, mysteriously in my handwriting, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Leaders who truly elevate others have never been more important than they are today. And I'm not even going to really ask a question here because this seems to sum up your entire book. Explain away. The key to successful leadership today is to elevate other people. And I know with 100% certainty that we can't do it alone. And that means we need people that can help us get there. And part of that responsibility is to coach somebody, to put on that coaching hat, to say, I'm going to go help you develop in the very best way I can. Most of the time, that's actually going to be less advice giving and more pulling the information out of you so you can do it yourself. And, and, And that's where like, I want leaders today to really put that coaching hat on and to say, one of my, the most important jobs that I have is to help you go be successful, to, to develop yourself. And then one day it'll be your job to go do that for somebody else. 
And so if you look at every great athlete, if you look at many of the great leaders um, of big companies, they've all, they all have a coach. They don't do it alone from Tiger Woods to Michael Jordan to you name the great athlete. They all have a co- Michael Phelps. There's a reason why they have these coaches, George, because they need help. Sure. Leaders and organizations, professionals, people in the military, they need help. They need someone to coach and help them develop. And so that's what I want your audience today to think about is does you no good to sit on your hands and do nothing for someone and just, you know, they're out in the water and they're they're drowning and you might just throw a, a life preserver, but then you don't pull them in. So I want your audience today to think about how can I go help my team develop um, and coach them to higher levels of performance. And the best way to do that is through questions and pulling that information out of, out of them versus just giving them the answer. One of my earlier interviews was with a retired Navy captain, David Marquet, and his book is called Turn the Ship Around. Mm. Very interesting read if you haven't read it yet, by the way. But one of his thoughts is that the supervisor-subordinate relationship within any organization is over. It's tired. It doesn't work anymore. What are your thoughts? Oh, I, I actually love David and I love his work. I agree and I disagree. Okay. Um, I use, you know, and I'll explain, you know, we, we've, we've researched a little bit of what happens to a leaderless team. Um, imagine you're on a plane and you get some turbulence. Um, you're going to want someone to come over the speaker beforehand and say, we're about to hit some turbulence. We're going to work through it. We're going to take the best route we can. Just hold tight. If, if you had no one come on that intercom and say those things and you just started hitting turbulence, you're probably going to get pretty scared. Right. So, so while in theory, I like it. I mean, there's been some fantastic research done at Google about what happens to teams when leaders don't exist. So I think leaders are more important than ever. I just think the role that they play is more like David is suggesting, which is um, we have to empower our people to make decisions where the information is. I mean, I think those are exact words that he used. Um, right. Make Allow people to make decisions where the information is versus micromanaging the situation or making decisions for people when they're ready to make them. And I think the spirit of that is the future of leadership in terms of empowering people to make decisions. I just think today more than ever, the leaders are are as important as they've ever been. And you, you can look at the current environment to see how, how true that is. Yeah. Without question. John Eats, author of Building the Best, Eight Proven Ways to Elevate Others to Success. So much good information in this book and so much more great information to be discovered from giving it a good read. Thank you, John, for sharing your ideas. And thank you very much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, George. And thank you for listening to The Leadership List, a podcast produced by the American Forces Radio Network and the Defense Media Activity. I'm George Maurer. And remember, great leaders never stop learning. The Leadership List is a production of the American Forces Radio Network. 
creative consultants, Dave Beesing, CEO of Sound That Brands, a podcast development business, and AFN Radio's Grant Peters and Tom Arnholt. Additional narration provided by Tony Scott.